Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. It is Talk Back Tuesday. It is also game day, and there is some Hawks news to get to before we get to Talk Back Tuesday. So a ton to get to. Let's get to the propers first, and then we will start answering your questions after we share the little bit of news from practice on Monday. First of all, voicemail 708-653-0572. Email LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. Follow my personal account at jzawoski670. The Locked On Twitter account at LO underscore Blackhawks. And, of course, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My other Hawks podcast. New episode came out late Sunday night, early Sunday morning. You'll want to check that out. It still stands up. Good stuff. Had some laughs with my partner, James Naveau with some big-picture Blackhawks stuff, so I think you'll enjoy it. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all those great things that help podcasts thrive and flourish. So before we get to the Talk Back Tuesday part of the show, want to tell you about the Blackhawks' lines in practice on Monday. Jeremy Cowton's 35th birthday, by the way, on Monday. Happy birthday, Jeremy. You seem like a good guy. And I'll leave it at that. Top line was Jonathan Taves centering Dominic Kubalik and Drake Kajula. Second line... Kirby Doc centering Alex DeBrinkett and David Kampf. Okay. Third line, Ryan Carpenter centering Alex Nylander and Patrick Kane. No. Last line, Zach Smith centering Matthew Highmore and Dylan Secura. Here's my two major complaints. Number one, David Kampf provides absolutely nothing offensively. I know you want to have four lines that can contribute. I get it. I understand that's what Jeremy Cowan is trying to do, but guess what? What you've basically done is create three lines that can't contribute. Patrick Kane can't do everything on his own. And him and Alex Nylander together does not work. I've talked all season about how Alex Nylander looks lost out in the ice, like he's thinking too much, like he's in his head too much. Putting him out there with Patrick Kane, one of the most difficult players to play with on the Blackhawks because of his unpredictability because of the fact that you have to be ready 24-7, or I guess 60 minutes for three periods, whatever, when Patrick King's on the ice, you have to be ready, you have to be aware, and awareness is Nylander's biggest problem. Put Kane with the Brinkett and Doc, load up your top two lines, put Secura with Carpenter and Nylander, and you put David Camp on the fourth line with Highmore and Smith, and there you have a fourth line that can go out and defend. Overthinking it. And I guarantee you, If the Hawks come out slow against Ottawa tonight, those lines will be shifted and Patrick Kane will be up there with Taves and Kubelik again and everything's going to go to hell. Jeremy Cowan is overthinking this thing. It's one thing to compare that Joel... Oh yeah, Coach Q, he changes lines all the time. Coach Q had an all-star team for all intents and purposes. So the line blender wasn't such a big deal when he did it. Right now, every line has a guy that doesn't really bring much. Maybe two guys that don't bring much on a couple lines. That's not redistributing. That's not spreading out the offense. That's hindering the entire team. This is overthinking it. And I hope I'm wrong. And it's just the Ottawa Senators. And maybe this team and, the, and these lines will light up the Ottawa Senators, and that'd be great. And I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. I don't like it. Defensive pairs, very much the same. Uh, Duncan Keith and Adam Boquist together. Eric Gustafson and Connor Murphy. And the third pairing was Oli Mata with Slater Cuckoo and Dennis Gilbert rotating in and out. Brandon Sod and Dylan Strom took the ice before practice, but neither seems to be close to appearing. Uh, maybe not close, but they're not going to appear in the next two games. They're not going to travel the way it looks. So um, that's at least three games without those guys. They come back home Sunday 
against the Winnipeg Jets. So maybe that's the opportunity for Dylan Strom and Brandon Saad to get back in the lineup. Hopefully they're back sooner than later. In a week from today, Tuesday, January 21st, Coach Q returns to the United Center for the first time since his firing. I hope the Hawks have something special planned for him. I'm sure they will. If there's one thing the organization does well, it's these uh, memorable uh, celebrations of guys who helped win the team. This is, of course, the 10-year anniversary season of the 2010 Cup, so I think some very special things will happen for Joel Quenville. And I've got this uh, SeatGeek gift card I got for Christmas in my back pocket, and I've been eyeing going to a Hawks game soon. And as that game gets closer, I'm wondering if tickets are going to get more expensive or less expensive because I think some people just look and say, oh, the Florida Panthers, they're boring. Actually, they're not boring, um, but they're not a marquee team in the eyes of a lot of casual people. So I'm sort of holding out, hoping I can get to that game. Got to work out some other stuff as well. Um, but it should be interesting, and I really hope that Joel Quenville, and I'm sure he will, uh, gets the ovation that he deserves for everything he accomplished here as the Blackhawks head coach. That's going to be the guy throughout history considered the best coach in the history of the franchise, and rightfully so. So I'm sure the Hawks will do everything they need to do uh, to honor their former head coach, the guy who led them to three Stanley Cups. I'm really anxious to see, not anxious, anxious is a bad word, but I'm really excited to see what he, what they have in store for Joel Quenville. All right, let's start the Talk Back Tuesday segment with an email. First one comes from Kim from Sweden. She says, Jay, first off, just want to say I love the podcast. Keep it up. Second, I want to hear your opinion on David Camp. I just sort of mentioned him. I feel like when I watch the games, I never notice him, which is not always a bad thing. However, I feel like the story this season has been guys getting scratched, but somehow he's always in the lineup despite not having the best numbers. And as I said, I seem to hardly ever notice him. There are a lot of guys that have a, a better stat line than him. I feel like I notice them more. I just wanted your thoughts on why the Blackhawks might be so high on Kampf. Best regards, Kim from Sweden. Kim, thanks for the email. Thanks for listening to us all the way in Sweden. I would love to go visit the, I guess you call it the Nordic countries. Uh, I'm sure they're beautiful. I have a friend in Finland. I know it's not the same thing. I'm not confusing Sweden and Finland, Kim. Don't get mad at me, but it's a part of the world I would love to go visit. Um, I just sort of mentioned David Kampf is a fine bottom six player, but they keep expecting more from him. They keep expecting him to take this jump in offense, and it's not going to come. From what I'm told, the guy in the organization that loves David Kampf is Barry Smith. That's the guy who's just in love with David Camp's game. Someone told me that he once said that Smith once said that David Camp's going to be a 50-point scorer in this league. I don't know if we're talking about the same David Camp. Is there another one in the NHL I'm unaware of? Because there's no chance in hell this David Camp is going to be a 50-point scorer. Unless he's talking about in his career. Right now he's only seven points away from that. In 155 games, he's got 43 points. So there's a chance that he reaches 50 for his career. I don't know. I He's fine. As a bottom six guy, he can win win some face-offs. He can kill some penalties, those sort of things. But, man, having him up in the top six is ridiculous. I don't care how injured, how injured you are and how banged up the team is. David Camp should never be on your top six. Talk 
Throwback Tuesday rolls on here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It is time for the first voicemail of Talkback Tuesday. If you want to leave one of your own, 708-653-0572 or just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Hey, Jay, Joshua here. I just wanted to get your thoughts a little bit more on Kirby Doc and specifically just his um, puck possession and uh, maybe even his, uh, yeah, just being able to protect the puck. Uh, one thing I noticed whenever he's playing, he just seems to not use his frame, uh, you know, as well as I think he could being a big guy. Just wanted to get your thoughts. Thanks. Thanks a lot for the question. We spent a lot of time talking about Kirby Doc on this podcast lately and uh, talked a little bit about it on Monday and on Friday. Uh, look, I, I'm I'm very pleased overall with Kirby Doc's play. I really am. I don't think it's unfair to question parts of his game or to be critical of parts of his game. Yes, he's 18 years old, but he's a number three overall pick. He has been awarded a position on this roster. He's been here all season since he's been healthy. So he should be analyzed, yes, with a grain of salt because he's 18 and he's inexperienced. But look, we're over halfway through the season here. And it's time to start talking honestly about Kirby Doc. And the production hasn't been there. And that's kind of the last thing to come with prospects. So that doesn't really have me too concerned. I just want to see when I want to see him growing in his game. I want to see, you know, marked improvement from week to week, from month to month. He has one goal and zero assists in his last 25 games. He's been on the power play. He's been on the top six. He's been playing with good line mates. And yeah, there have been mo- moments where he's been really good. And uh, user on Twitter, Sandman730, points out that he's taken 122 hits. That's the third most in the NHL. So players are playing against Doc physically. And there's a reason for that. It's not a coincidence. They're seeing something in his game. And like Joshua mentioned, maybe giving Doc some contact early in a game makes him more you know uh prone to giving up the puck that's something that's being scouted and it's something that other teams are keying on something to keep an eye on for Blackhawks fans as they watch Kirby Doc develop as the year goes on I still and I want to make this perfectly clear I have total faith that Kirby Doc when it's all said and done will have been a worthy pick at three and will be a very good player for the Blackhawks. I believe that. I have no doubt in that. Nothing I've seen from him yet has given me any indication that that won't happen. I think he's going to be a very, very good player. I think he's going to be a fan favorite. I think he's going to put up big numbers. So I've got nothing against him. But it is fair to analyze a player that's on the NHL roster, regardless of age. Next question comes from Sean Ward. He says, If a team in desperate straits cannot come out with fire in every game, who does that fall on? I like Coach Cowden, but is he what this team needs to be successful? Well, that's sort of the question, right? Is Jeremy Cowden's system propelling them to victory? Sometimes. Now that he's adapted and now that he's let them play their games a little bit, there are some games where the Blackhawks look very good against good teams. And then, like Sean mentioned, there are times where they look like garbage against garbage teams. It's pretty rare where the Hawks play a good team and just get wiped out. 
That tells me that it's a matter of preparation and it's a matter of readiness. Of course, there's exceptions. They've gotten their ass kicked by some good teams this year. There's no doubt about it. That first game against Nashville was a a very clear uh, talent gap in that game. But to me, you're seeing the Hawks come out flat against lesser opponents. And I said earlier in the season, the Hawks need to realize that they are a lesser opponent. And if they don't come out playing as hard as they can almost every shift, they don't have much of a chance. But we've seen when they come out and play hard and and it's not just what and when I say this, I want to reiterate this. I'm not saying drop the gloves. I'm not saying put people through the glass. I'm saying attention to detail, crisp passing, smart plays, puck support, strong forechecking, good puck movement on the power play. The little things that make a team good are the things the Blackhawks need to focus on. And when they do those things, they are a much better and much different team. We've seen it. We have seen this team compete with some of the best teams in the league. And maybe, just maybe, part of that is those teams overlooking the Hawks a little bit, which is probably reasonable. But I see the talent on this team. I've seen what the talent on this team is capable of. And I do believe that more often than not, they should be able to hang with their opponents. And the efforts, especially against Calgary a week ago today, and especially against Nashville on the 9th, those to me were questions of effort. Not so much the Calgary game. It was pretty even. The Hawks lost. But that Nashville game, they were not ready to go. And to me, yeah, that does have to reflect on the coach. Because we've seen this leadership, Taves, Keith, Kane, etc., win. They know how to win. They know how to lead. They've done it before several times. So to me, it does become a coaching issue. Next email comes from Kyle in Greensboro, North Carolina. He says, what's the likelihood that Corey Crawford takes a pay cut on a short-term deal to stay in Chicago as the backup to Leonard? This seems like a situation that may allow him to glide towards retirement with the least amount of hassle. He gets to stay in town, help the team rebuild, make a little more money, and not be relied upon to take the net every night. I could see how that may be preferable to taking a short-term contract with another organization and uprooting his life for a year or two to be the starter with a new team. Doesn't seem like a style to me. Kyle, I think that's kind of the hope of a lot of Blackhawks fans that that would be, that's the ideal situation. Find a way to re-sign Robin Leonard. Like we discussed the last couple shows, he's not going to take a pay cut, nor should he. So they're going to have to pay him seven, $8 million to retain his services. You've got to re-sign Dylan Strom. It looks like you're going to have to resign Dominic Kubalik. That's going to be $2 million, $3 million probably at least to get him back. Will Corey Crawford stay in Chicago for a million bucks for another year or two? That's the question. And if so, they should absolutely take him up on that. Does Corey Crawford have one last big contract in mind? Like you said, I don't really see that from his personality. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's overly motivated by money. And he's made a lot of money in his career. And he's accomplished a lot. And I do think there's some value to stability. So maybe, just maybe, that in, in an ideal world, that's what happens for me. They re-sign Leonard. He's the starter. Corey Crawford signs a one- or two-year deal to be the backup. And then he retires. That, to me, is a perfect scenario. But that's very easy for me to say because it's not me walking away from an extra million bucks or two like Corey Crawford would be. Let's get right back into the emails here on Talkback Tuesday. Again, 
If you want to leave a voicemail or an email, voicemail is 708-653-0572. Next email comes to us from TJ. He said, I had an argument on Twitter with someone that could be fun for you to answer. Who had a better team on paper to start the season? The Devils or the Blackhawks? And on paper, do you feel that the Hawks are a good team who is underachieving or just plain bad? I think the Blackhawks had a better roster going into the season. There were a lot of assumptions made about Jack Hughes. A lot of the hype went into um, talking about that team and, and you know, uh, wow, you know, they got this kid. He's going to come in and be an immediate star. No, that's not really the case. P.K. Subban being traded in the offseason to the Devils was a big part of the reason people were optimistic about them as well. They've got some really good young players like Nico Hishier. Uh, Kyle Palmieri's a pretty good scorer, but they don't have anyone on the roster. And maybe Jack Hughes becomes this guy. They've got no one on the roster as good as Patrick Kane. They've got no one on the roster as good as Jonathan Taves. I still think Duncan Keith would probably be the best defenseman on their team. So I think the Hawks are a better team. I think the goalie tandem of Robin Leonard and Corey Crawford is better than Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Schneider when he's healthy, which is almost never and uh, Louis Domingue, I think that the Hawks have a better goaltending tandem. So I do think the Hawks are a better team. Again, there was a lot of hype around the Devils going into the season, but a lot of that was about, you know, okay, Hughes is going to come in and be a star right away. P.K. Subban's still going to be a star. I don't know if he's quite the player he used to be either. So to answer your question, I think the Blackhawks are a better team on paper than they're playing. I do think they're slightly underachieving. That said, if I had to say, are they a good or a bad team? I have to lean towards bad because we have this sample size now that's telling us they are a team that is near the bottom of the Western Conference. And no matter what they do, they can't seem to climb out. Once they get close, they get knocked down again, right? They've been close to that playoff spot and then they'll lose two or three in a row. Right now, they've got 46 points. They are seven points out of the final playoff spot. They've got one, two, three teams between them and Edmonton, who holds right now the second wild card spot. And they've got three teams behind them to the basement of the West. Now, they've got some clearance. They're also seven points clear of the last place Ducks. So they're as close to last as they are to a playoff spot. Make of that what you will. Let's get back to the voicemails here on Locked on Blackhawks. Again, 708 653 0572 to leave one of your own. Hey, Jay, checking in here from the West Coast. Playing off of your commentary on this morning's podcast, if you were to try and move the Albatross contract that is Seabrook, what would it take to to move his contract uh, in terms of throwing in current players, prospects, and what would those current prospects Please don't say Kubelik. And potential guides in the system, who would be the targets uh, in terms of players and who would be Bowman's targets in terms of trying to make that connection and, and make a trade. Keep up the good work and don't forget to cue Chelsea Dagger. Thanks for the voicemail. And uh, you sort of led me there. You didn't leave your name, by the way. Leave your name when you leave a voicemail so I know who to respond to. Um, <laughs> I, I hate to get into this because... It's a bad time <laughs> to bring this up, but I mentioned it a little bit earlier. The Hawks are going to have to pay Dominic Kubelik. It's very likely that at the end of the season, he'll have around 25, maybe 30 goals. And 
I mentioned on Monday's podcast, the going rate for a guy like that is three, three and a half million dollars. If you are trying to move Brent Seabrook's contract and you want to make it a little more uh, easy to swallow for the opposition, for the team taking on that contract, throwing in a 30 goal scorer or the rights to a 30 goal scorer, the exclusive rights because he's a restricted free agent, that could be very tempting. And look what it took you to get rid of Brian Bickle. It took you Tavo damn Teravainen to get rid of Brian Bickle. And let, let's be real about this. While Bickle didn't have the career that Brent Seabrook did, when he was traded, there was still some thought that Bickle could be a good player. Right now, Bickle's 34. That trade was made three seasons ago. So he's 31 years old. He's got, you know, he scored what? Like, uh, I would say he probably had like 140 points in his career. Somewhere around there. But it was a guy who you sort of felt like with more ice time and a bigger role could maybe jump out. Because there's been some flashes and there was some room for growth. No way is Brent Seabrook going to become a better player. So it's going to take a prospect that hurts to get rid of Brent Seabrook's contract. Or a high draft pick or two. Hopefully. And this is a big hopeful. But hopefully, they can just keep him on long-term injured reserve until that contract expires. But I know that's risky for them. I know that puts them in a bad spot. They knew Marion Hosa was never going to play again, but they got rid of that contract. It's tough. It's a tough situation. The other difference is Marion Hosa's deal at the time was this actual cash paid to... Um, to Hosa at that time was only a million bucks. Yeah, the cap hit was big because it was front-loaded. But Brent Seabrook, this season, his salary is $7.5 million. Next season, it's five. The season after that, it's six. The next two seasons are five and four. And I'm sorry, five and four and a half. And that's when that deal's done after 2023-24. So Hosa was an easier pill to swallow, too, because, yeah, you're taking on the cap hit, but you're not taking on a ton of cash. Whichever team, if any team, takes on Brent Seabrook, they're taking on, at best, a very declining player at a very high contract. So if someone's going to take that on, it's going to cost you. Kubelik, Kubelik plus, Kubelik in a second? for what would amount to a middling prospect or another bad contract from the team that's taking him on. That's why, to me, the Brent Seabrook signing was the absolute nail in the coffin for Stan Bowman. But guess what? That deal was signed September 26th, 2015. A few months after they'd won the Cup, But anyone watching the Blackhawks closely knew Brent Seabrook's game was well in decline. That deal should never have been signed. And it is and should be what cost Stan Bowman his job when it ultimately goes away. That, to me, was a fireable offense on its own. Here's an email from Bob. He says, okay, has everyone seen enough? 
Can we please finally agree for the third straight year, the Hawks are not a playoff hockey team, plus they sit in last place in the division yet again. And to make matters worse, this team is not trending in the right direction, and that doesn't look to change anytime soon. Therefore, if the Hawks are going to make major changes, and they certainly should, why would they wait until the end of the year? Why not bring in a new GM, giving them time to evaluate players before the trade deadline where he can maximize the value? I appreciate what Bowman did during the cup years, but if an NHL coach has a shelf life, then so does the GM. Also, do you think Bowman is on any sort of short leash and unable to make moves without consulting ownership first, or does he have full control to make any trade he wants? That's a great question, Bob. I agree with you. They can fire Stan Bowman anytime, and I won't be mad. If they want to wait, fine. They want to do it now, fine. But again, if you're pretty certain you're going to fire Stan Bowman, why are you putting him in charge of another trade deadline? Maybe they're not. Maybe the Hawks are just going to stand pat. They're going to try to move Gustafson, try to, if they really fall out of things, see if they can move Leonard or Crawford or both and get some assets for those guys who might walk anyway. But do you want Stan Bowman making any franchise-altering trades? I don't even know if I want him making the trade for Brent Seabrook now if it becomes available. Because he's going to give away something. What if he gives away Adam Boquist to get rid of Brent Seabrook? What does that accomplish? Or Ian Mitchell? I don't know. If I'm John McDonough, I'm very hesitant to give Stan Bowman power to make any major trade. And anything he does make is going through me first. Next email comes from Kyle in Greensboro, North Carolina. Again, thanks, Kyle. He says, who is the Blackhawks head of European scouting and development? Can we make that person the next GM, please? Yeah, some good moves made by Matt Hallen. That is the Blackhawks director of European scouting. It is his 12th season with the team and his, 12th, and his fifth as the team's director of European scouting. Dominic Kubalik, Antti Niemi would be on that list. Uh, Artemi Panarin would be on that list. All these international free agent signings the Blackhawks have had over the years would fall under Matt's Hallen's watch. And it is Matt's, M-A-T-S, Hallen's watch. And he's done a fine job. There's no, no doubt about that. I don't, I keep telling you guys, I think the GM is going to be um, Al McIsaac. And that probably doesn't get you too excited. It doesn't get me too excited. Um, and it probably shouldn't. But that's probably what it's going to be. But yeah, if you're trying to look a different way and, and sort of evaluate who's been good for your organization, Matt Talon, your director of European scouting, is a name to consider. Jan Ruda is another one on that list. Had a good first season with the Hawks, not so great the season after. Um, but there's a lot of these international guys the Hawks have signed over the years. I'm just sort of going through the list. Uh, Victor Edsel was a trade. Um, but there, uh, Michael Kepney, that's another one that he, he could probably take credit for. So, yeah, there have been a lot of those players, and they've been effective players that Matt Talon has brought in or at least helped bring into the Blackhawks. Maybe he is being considered as a GM. Who knows? To me... Anything's on the table at this point. Final email of the show. We got another voicemail before we wrap things up, but this comes from Dave. This question is about the power play and who's responsible for running it, fixing it. The Caps coaches don't do much with the power play, according to the broadcasters, and it's the players who run it. Is it similar for the Hawks? Also, is the answer to fixing the power play pulling Kane off the top unit in order to simplify things? I don't hate the idea of taking Patrick Kane off the top unit power play. And I know it sounds crazy, 
but it does need a little bit of a simplification. Um, and who knows? Maybe, you know, it's it almost sounds ridiculous to do that. And I know we're upset about it, and it's it's kind of a silly thing to think, but sometimes what has been the problem for the Blackhawks has been the overthinking on the power play, right? That's been the big issue with the Blackhawks is that they don't keep it simple. They don't get pucks on the net. And taking your best player off of it probably doesn't make too much sense, but I'm willing to give it a look for a game or two. I'm not saying take Patrick Kane off. Maybe put him on the point instead of having him run things from along the boards. It's been that way for years. It hasn't really worked. I will say the power play has been getting better looks lately, even though the results haven't really been there. But at this point, I'm willing to try anything. Unfortunately, you probably have to wait to do that until you're a little healthier. Brandon Saad has to be back. Dylan Strom has to be back. Andrew Shaw, to a lesser extent, has to be back before you can really start toying with things. Right now, the power play is so important to the Hawks' success, you can't take Patrick Kane off. But when things get healthy, when things get back to normal, uh, I'd, I'd consider it, or at least giving Patrick Kane a different role there. All right, last part of Talkback Tuesday comes to us via voicemail. Again, 708-653-0572 if you'd like to leave one of your own. Hey, buddy. This is Mark from the southwest suburbs. Uh, first and foremost, Jay, really enjoy your podcast and work on on your work on 670 to score. I think you do a great job, and you've really solidified yourself as one of the top hockey guys in Chicagoland, so appreciate all the hard work you do with that. I had a comment and a question. Uh, my comment was last week I was at the Calgary game, um, my first chance at the UC this year, so I saw the scoreboard, uh, which is amazing, by the way. But the comment is uh, Coach Colleton got booed during introductions, uh, which I thought was interesting. And my question was regarding Ray Sherrill. I know that the Devils axed him recently, and he'll be – uh, available. I wanted to know what your thoughts are on Ray Sherrill and if you feel like the Blackhawks would be interested in him. I know the Devils haven't had a great year, but I think Ray Sherrill's resume speaks for itself. I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. And again, keep up the great work. Thanks. It's a good question, Mark. And I can't uh, tell you that when I saw Ray Sherrill lost his job, uh, that I didn't, my mind immediately didn't drift to uh, him as a possibility for the Blackhawks. I think that everything should be on the table. The Hawks should do – look, if they claim to be this forward-thinking, air quotes, one-goal organization, then they shouldn't limit their next hire of GM or coach to people within the organization. That's not what big – big, you know, that's not what the big boy teams do. That's not what Montreal would do. That's not what Toronto would do. You go find the best possible guy for the job. And when they fired Joel Quenville, did they do that? They did not. And even if Jeremy Cowton did work out or ends up working out, it doesn't mean it was the right move, especially at the time. Maybe they've learned a lesson that trying to be the smartest guys in the room and bringing in the oh, the young firebrand new coach and he's going to revolutionize hockey. No, no, this is not baseball. It's not. And to bring a guy who turned 35 years old yesterday to coach a three-time Stanley Cup champion with established star Hall of Fame type players that are older than him on the roster was a big mistake. So would dismissing 
So would be dismissing any potential GM who's got some semblance of success. I will say, Ray Shero does have a good body of work from the outside looking in, right? But I think if Stan Bowman gets fired, there's going to be a lot of hockey fans around hockey saying, look at that guy's resume. Three Stanley Cups? Look at the guys on that team. Look how good the Blackhawks did. How could they fire Stan Bowman? Out of town stupid, and it sounds like you're a score listener, Mark, based on your comments. Out of town stupid is real. And I'm not saying hiring Ray Shero would be a bad move, but nothing is as simple as it seems. They've got to do their due diligence on every possible candidate before they make a trade or before they make a new uh, hire at GM because the next two or three years of this organization are crucial to the next decade of this organization. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Blackhawks. Really awesome questions today. I think this was the best version of Talkback Tuesday we've done so far. If you want to get involved next week, voicemail 708-653-0572, email LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter as well, at LO underscore Blackhawks. We will talk to you on Wednesday, hopefully talking about a win over the Ottawa Senators and looking forward to Wednesday night's game against the Montreal Canadiens. Until then, this has been Jay Zawoski on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Have a great Tuesday.